Hello, and welcome to the Vulnerability Junkies podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jamie. On this podcast, we talk about the scary, vulnerable parts of our personal and professional growth, our identities as second-generation Asian Canadians, and talking about our feelings. You uh, trying to see a therapist? How do you know how to find someone that's a good fit? In today's episode, we unpack our therapy journeys with special guest Carmel Dimitris. Along the way, she shares what she's learned about finding a good therapist over her 10-plus year journey. Let's get into it. So welcome back. Today we have our third guest. Uh, welcome to Carmel Diamichis. Okay. Welcome. I know I know Carmel from early days of Figma. Uh, Carmel had a really unusual, very early role of being uh, a content editor for for Figma really early on, which helped the company get to this like incredible brand position way before it was reasonable for it to have that level of that level of sway. Uh, and over the years, I've talked to Carmel a lot about mental health. We've like both been through our own different struggles through depression, and uh, Karma also helped me get my first ever writing piece paid for. Wait, this was your first? Yeah, I've never. This is the first time I've ever been paid for my writing. What? So as part of, you want to talk about a little bit about what, what like every does? Yeah. Yeah. Um, every is a newsletter and also a website that publishes um, kind of culture and analysis pieces that, that are sort of at the conjunction of tech and. Uh, psychology, some of its productivity. It's, so it's sort of like business analysis meets culture meets personal reflection. And so I have a favorite piece of Jamie's that I have loved for years and sent to friends who have struggled with depression. And um, was basically like, we have to publish this publicly so that it's not just Jamie's friends and family reading it. Slash all of Figma slash anyone that would join Figma and I would send it to them. Yeah, I only found out that that happened like way later. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of it so that they can go look it up? We'll put it in, in the show notes. Depression and Recovery, Jamie Wong, and you'll find it pretty easily. And then Carmel also recently wrote a piece for Every called How to Find a Therapist, mm -hmm. which uh, I'm just, I just want to know more about that because um, all three of us have now been through through therapy at some point for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So I just want to talk about like how you think about finding therapists, how you think about what it means to, for a therapist to be a good therapist for you. And then also just like how you think therapy has helped you grow because like people ask me sometimes like what I got out of therapy and I'm confident I did learn a lot in the process but it is hard to articulate so I'd love to see mm. how you think about that not yeah. right now right because we'll do the check-in first oh yeah totally okay thank you this yes this is the topic yes. all right okay nailed it nailed it so uh <laughs> so Carmel I guess yeah we'll, I'm we'll excited first. for the check-in I don't want to miss yeah. it that's why yeah <laughs> just like Kevin, <laughs> Kevin how are you feeling today oh my god I think emotionally I'm at like a seven. Physically I'm at like a five. Mm. Yeah, just exercising and not that much sleep mm. lately. Mm. The emotion that's coming up for me is like fluid. Fluid? Mm. Feeling emotion fluid? Yeah. I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, when we were heating up the mics, I think there was a lot of very interesting topics that were just wide ranging. So I'm like, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. Mm. How are you doing? I think like energetically, I'm, I'm basically the same. Yeah. Emotionally, like a seven and then physically maybe like a four. I'm just feeling sleepy. I slept enough. I don't know why I'm feeling sleepy. And then the tone of the emotion. Yeah. I think I'm feeling, I think I'm feeling pretty eager. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Sleepy and eager. Sleepy and eager. I think that's I think it's accurate because the, the sleepiness is the physical part of it, mm. and then the eager is like, you know, if I were to just drink a bunch of caffeine right now, the eager would still be there, but the sleepy would be gone. It's the <laughs> different these different axes. Layers. Different layers. They to love it, yeah. layers. Mm. Yeah, Carmel, how are you feeling today? I feel like my emotions and my physicality are usually very tied, so it's interesting mm. that you're like they're separate for mm-hmm. you. Um, I'm an A emotionally, and probably because I went to a festival a week ago, so I'm still recovering. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, but the emotions are high. They're, this is like the highest it's been in months for me. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, both because this is exciting and fun, and I think that elevates my mood um, to get to talk with interesting people about my favorite subject, which mm-hmm. is feelings. Um <laughs> But also because I'm entering this next chapter turning point where um, I can transition out of being on like a daily publishing grind for every and I might get to teach writing and it just means like it feels like there's more light coming back into my life where there's time for friends and family and yeah, feels like I'm around. There's a corner rounding moment. Wow. We we hit those a lot, right? I felt that. Just like the image of... Like storm clouds, like breaking away. Yeah. And the sun is peeking out again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it really sucks the storm clouds always have to come back, but that's <laughs> what makes you appreciate the sun. It's true. <laughs> the ups and downs. Um, my grandmother died a couple months ago, and that's actually not been like unilaterally bad. It's been unilaterally like intense, mm. um, both highs and lows. Um, so it feels like now there's been like enough space from that where it's almost like the fresh ground where it's like, the death and the rebirth and now like this the shoots are starting to come up for me and my mother and like my family and so the feeling would be hopeful mm, wow yeah, i was getting i was getting like optimism and a bit of joy as well yeah yeah maybe a smidge of relief mm. to catch the breath like wow i felt that yeah it feels like a perfect commemoration thing to do actually recording this podcast with you Very and i'll sweet. be able to remember it true yeah yeah Snapshot in time. Very bad. So (laughs) I don't have it written down in a later accessible file. Nice. Do you want to ask your question again? Yeah, sure. Hello, listeners. This is Kevin from the editing room here to give you a quick trigger warning for specifically self harm in the content that is about to come up. If that's something you don't want to listen to, at this point, you should jump to the 10 minute and 30 second mark of this podcast to continue from there. Separately, you should also stick around until the very end of this podcast for a special announcement. But one more time for a good measure, now is your chance to jump to the 10-minute and 30-second mark of this podcast if you don't want to listen to that content specifically. And with that, back to the pod. So I think just let's, let's start with um, what like brought you into therapy for the very first time. Um, so how, how if there's like a smidge of darkness to That's this. That's okay. Yeah, you know? I think the threshold is really just about what you're comfortable, you're comfortable sharing. Yeah. If yeah. you're comfortable with this being public, then then like darkness is allowed here for sure. I'm like very comfortable. I think I mostly actually am just wind up being sensitive to like other people's like lack of comfort with like darkness or yeah. For me, it's always interwoven with like with light and with like mm-hmm. levity. I usually find dark things in my life very funny too. You know, mm-hmm. my mother does as well. So, uh, yeah, when I was in high school, I started cutting myself to just mm. to be very cliche 2005. It was like the era of emo and like kind of like a meme. Whoa. Oh, man. But it was like a, you know, like a movie TV, like cliche yeah. kind of. It was like Degrassi era. Mm. Um, 
yeah, so my parents found out. And so, yeah, they, my mom was like, she needs to do therapy. And so that wound up being, I mean, such a blessing. I look back and I don't know what my life would be like today if I hadn't gotten into therapy at such a young age and seen what therapy could do for me. Um, because it was almost like for years I had just gotten number and number and colder and colder and blanker and blanker, just like repress, repress, repress to, to achieve, you know, to fit molds, to, to be like utter stillness so that I'm not ruffling any other feathers. And even the cutting was done in that lens. Like I did martial arts and I would like fight adult men on the weekends. It was just like, I was like the only girl that would like go to sparring on the weekends. And so I woke up one morning and it was like, oh, can I cut myself? And like, can I handle the pain? Cause so much of like my life was like, can I get punched in the face by adult men and like not cry? Cause I don't want to be the girl who cries or like, can I like force myself to like work super hard at school and like get straight A's, you know, because I somehow think that that matters. My parents didn't give me that message. I don't know where I got that from. Hmm. Um, so I woke up and I'm like, can I hack it? There was like, I wasn't crying. It was like none of like the stuff, the cliches in movies of like, you know, where they're sobbing in some bathroom or something. It was more like very calculated. Hmm. Um, but then once I started working with a therapist, what came under that is like, oh, it's like the literal physicality of like, I can't feel my pain. It's so gone, but it's like, I can mark it on my body. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, once I started working with her, then I had my first few out of control cutting moments. Mm. And so, so then I was like, oh, well now I need to stop, right? Cause control is like the oldmost thing. So seeing a therapist was kind of like, uh, it, it's like broke through this building like iceberg in my heart and in my chest and um, showed me what it was like to come through and like feel again and be reborn. Um, and it's not like that was then perfect. And then I was able to feel things for the rest of my life, but it was like a pathway where then I knew what was wrong about the iceberg modality mm -hmm. and um, knew how to go about trying to find my way back to like the light or the surface. Whoa. Yeah, that's why my mom, like, how heavy do we want to go? No, I mean, because I could just be like, I was 16 and my mom thought I should do therapy. <laughs> no, I think, I think that the, the description of the whole experience and like recognizing that it sounds like it was not like an intentional like call for help. It was really just the natural result of feeling numb. Mm -hmm. And it was just one particular expression modality. Like, the, you know, there's kind of these uh, kind of cliche things of like, doing something just so I can feel something. But right. there's like, there's real material underneath that. There's a reason that that is a cultural meme. And for you, it sounds like you did discover that you had a lot of emotional suppression. And it was only, I'm guessing at the time you weren't self-aware of that fact though. Is that right? Or do you think that you even knew? No, like I hadn't cried in years and I knew mm. that. And I knew that crying makes me feel better. Yeah. But but yeah, there wasn't as much aware. And I... I very much was like, my parents are being so overdramatic about this. It's exactly like what I do in martial arts or exactly like uh, what I do in school. Like I'm pushing through the pain to see how far I can go. Like they're just being dramatic was like my narrative. Right, right. And it sounds like going through, going to therapy actually did very specifically help you kind of pull the cork off of that and start to, to notice the emotions like flow freely after that. I have a lot of like similar experiences, but mm -hmm. I want to, I want to finish um, some of the stories here. So, like, how did the therapist help you identify 
what was being held back there? How do they help you actually get to this point of release? Mm. I think just the process of like having someone start to like ask me questions about my life um, and like dig then triggered the spiral where then it started to be an out of control thing. Um, and I think I had uh, enough self-awareness that I was like, oh, this, or it was like the value, the same values. This was never supposed to be an out of control thing. This was supposed to be like my endurance, my mm. will, you know? And so now that it's out of control, I'll, st I'll stop. But then there's all these feelings that are coming up, like almost like breaking through that surface or that crust. Um, and then she poked, like she, like she pointed out stuff about family dynamics and my dynamics with my parents and reframed things in ways I hadn't thought about. And like that made me start to notice things. And I think you guys probably maybe identify with this, that like your early therapy experiences, at least with a therapist who's like good, um, can be like very revelatory mm -hmm. in terms of almost like huge blind spots yeah. in your life. Yeah. And they're just turn a flashlight on like, oh, you didn't notice that giant monster that's like hanging out of your bed. And you're like, how could I have ever not seen it? But then you can't put like the cat back in the box. Like once mm -hmm. it's there, then you, like you were saying, then you see it everywhere. So, and it wasn't perfect, like, but it, it was just that experience. You go through that once and then you know what that looks like and feels like. Mm -hmm. And you wear, and you, I think it's even just the awareness of like the iceberg and how much of our experience yeah. is under our conscious awareness, mm -hmm. um, which kind of needs someone to show that to you for you to really see it. I think but, it's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just say, but I love that. It's like a mystery. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just the things that what's coming up is like, those things that you're not aware of, like some of it's subconscious, some of it's just like things that you just always assumed or were taught that they're like absolute truths. Like when I hear your story, I hear that like at some point there was this idea that like the ability to endure pain and push through pain is like the most virtuous thing that one can do or the most right thing. Mm -hmm. And that you tried to like you push that to the extreme because it's good, right? And there is a part of you that feels things and like feels the pain but then in, in part of that pursuit it's like you know it's like putting that part of you into i don't know some kind of jail cell so to speak mm -hmm. or like a pressure cooker and then it's like you know it's not like you don't actually feel things it's just within the pressure cooker and then eventually when you know the your therapist kind of like knocked and opened the lid it's like when you describe the uncontroll moment it's mm -hmm. just like everything like came out it's like oh there was this part of me that i neglected for like a long time that was feeling all of these things. That I didn't even know was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then it all came flooding out. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I, like, my parents gave me that message of, mm -hmm. like, push through the pain or, like, feelings aren't okay. Like, in many ways, they were like, why is our child so driven to, like, perform? Like, we never gave her, like, that message, which was true. I would, like, uh -huh. block them out of my parent-teacher conferences. I'd be like, you guys don't know shit. So like, I'll deal with it basically. Um, wow. But I think it was like, from a young age, seeing suffering and pain everywhere and then seeing like nobody doing anything about it. Mm. Um, Whoa. Like That's I found old notes deep. where I like ranted in third grade about how the PE teacher was bullying the fat girl in my class that everyone was already so mean to. Mm. 
you know, and how angry I was and upset, but like no one else is stepping in, you know, I think I saw stuff like that everywhere from a really young age. And like, like the, I was telling you guys where I saw like the WWE video and was like, didn't know it was fake and thought they just broke somebody's back to some random dude in the audience and was like sobbing. But then you see actual stuff like that yeah. in day-to-day -day life, even in like, I grew up in like a safe suburb and it's just like day-to-day -day life is like, life is, can be cruel and people can be cruel and, mm -hmm. And like, yeah, so I think like that's where I learned to like suppress it all because like if what you don't have an outlet. Do? Yeah, what yeah. else do you do? Yeah. yeah. So wow. I don't blame my parents for that per se. Just life, the world. If there's a God, sometimes they shake my fist. Mm -hmm. Really, God. Not raised religious, so it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Shaking your fist at butterflies. Yeah. I would love to hear about your guys' early therapy experiences, how you got into it. You want to go first? Sure. Um, trying to think. It, it was on my to-do list for years before I actually took the plunge. Um, I think it first occurred to me maybe 2016, 2017, so like six or seven years ago. Um, at the time, the company that I worked at actually offered it as a benefit. Uh, there was like a network that you could like go online and you just had to find someone, reach out, and then if they agreed to take you on, I think like 20 sessions a year would be covered which is pretty great. Um, I experienced multiple moments of logging into the portal, trying to look for somebody. You know, you do one or two searches. And I just remember like the the flow being very confusing. Like, like it, it, it starts with a questionnaire. You have to identify what type of therapy you want. And there's like 30 types yeah. of different therapies. And I was like, I have no idea what any of these things are. So it was super not easy to get into but then eventually i hit like an emotional wall where i was just like this is a little scary mm. uh i don't really know what i'm getting myself into what are they going to find mm. if they poke at me mm. um and then that subtle subconscious fear is kind of what just like i would like try and then you know just close the window and then three months later i'll try again and then this kind of continued until i eventually left the company and then i didn't have it covered anymore that was a great excuse to mm -hmm. like no longer stop trying or just stop trying. And then eventually I like pulled the trigger. Um, about a year ago, yeah, was the first time um, that I did therapy. Um, it just came as kind of an ad hoc recommendation from a friend uh, that it had, I was just kind of listening to him describe his experience working with this person. And a lot of the issues that he was describing, like in terms of like roughly like being more assertive um, and being able to show up in a more genuine way. I was like, well, that's a kind of, I really resonate with those, those things. And I think that's what I would want to work on in therapy too. And then I got a recommendation connected with the person. And then at that point I kind of was, it was kind of like a Hail Mary, um, because like it wasn't covered by work or insurance or anything. We had like a 30 minute intro call, but it was kind of, I took a risk essentially. I was like, okay, if the poor outcome would be like, I don't really gain any benefits. This person is kind of like a con man, um, <laughs> but probably not likely. Comes strongly recommended. So mm. I was like, let's just take the plunge. And yeah, that's how I, that was how I got into my first experience. Were those fears when you say they were subconscious? Like, do you think they were actually subconscious or were you sort of aware that you were afraid? Like, what would they I like? think I was kind of aware. Like, there was like some friction. Like, like uh, the image is like, I'm like leaning away, but there's like part of me that, is pulling me toward like, you know, you should do this. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the interesting question is why did I know that I should do this? I think by this point I had already recognized the 
the idea I, I kind of had gone beyond the stigma already of like you only go to therapy if there was something wrong with you mm. um and then already kind of embraced this idea that like even like all people would probably benefit um from having someone like you're saying shine a light around the room because there's probably things that you're not willing to look at and i also had to recognize that like it's um one of the ways that you can become like a, just a better version of yourself and a more aware version of yourself and a more resilient, strong version of yourself is to look at all the things that you don't want to look at. Because um, even if you don't look at them, that means just one day they're going to jump scare you and bad things might happen if they jump scare you. Mm. So you probably want to look at them sooner rather than later. But it's hard. Therefore, you should get some help. So I already had that kind of in my head. It was just like, okay, but it's still scary to look at a thing that I don't want to shine a light on, you know? So... Yeah, so many people avoid it. And I get that sense from my friends and family who I've like urged to go to therapy. And I think I got lucky in some ways that because it was like when I was 16 and it was like not my choice necessarily. And like my mom had seen a therapist before and did the work to just find someone for me. And then that person wound up being good enough, you know, mm -hmm. that, um, like I think I skipped that whole phase that I think a lot of people have to go through of the push pull mm -hmm. and there being resistance, you know, so I was, that's why I was curious. But yeah, it was conscious or. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that uh, at the same time, there's also part of my brain that it's like, you're really going to like this. And I think you're going to be good at it. <laughs> which, good at it. Which is true from the perspective of being willing to, like, be really open mm. and just, like, tell the person, please shine flashlight in this direction. I know it's there. I don't know what it is, but please shine. And then we can talk about it. That, right. that kind of thing. Your willingness. Yeah, I think I was, uh, yeah. Because I think I had the, the motivational structure in my head already. I know this is good, therefore. I just need to find someone who's, to your point, good enough. I've thought about this a lot, actually. Just like, do you like spend, like the other trap is you just spend time trying to maximize, like, oh, I need the best person. And then you mm -hmm. never actually start. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so but these things turn out to be true. I really enjoy therapy. I think it's like fun. It's like emotionally intense. Um, and I've like, you cry a lot. Um, and some of the things are definitely like harsh truths that you don't want to look at, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's fun in the growing, growing process way. So mm -hmm. type two fun. Yes, exactly. So what stuff have you noticed shift for you through, through going through this early, this like first phase of therapy? You mean learnings wise? Yeah. But like learnings don't necessarily have to be like cognitive. They can also just be things that you've noticed experientially are different for you now. In life or in therapy? In life. Like the things that, that like you've seen change in your life or the way you engage as a result of therapy. Oh, yeah. I mean, so to give like more tactical examples, like the, some of the things that I was working on was, yeah, the ability to be um, less inhibited by fear, a feel of failure, feel, did not wanting to be wrong. And that is very limiting in a way. If you're not willing to fail, you learn much slower. It's the only way that you can actually learn. Um, and it also means that, like, you're not able to actually try mm -hmm. um, across, like, all domains um, of my life. And so that was manifesting as, like, giving up or half-heartedly putting an effort at work. It was showing up as, like, um, not allowing myself to really, you know, try things, like building things, entrepreneurial things even though I wanted to do them, but I was just getting in my own way. And so not that I've gotten to the end zone yet, but now like understanding where that comes from for me and that that's, that is the common theme. Um, yeah, has been kind of revolutionary 
Um, I've like discovered that I need to be more empathetic to myself and that yeah. there's parts of me that I've been neglecting that just really need that emotional support and that validation and that like that need to be seen is that like that those are gaps that exist um, from like my upbringing and how like my my brain works I guess and I've been able to now look at that and be like oh I actually can learning that I can a get that from other people but then also more <laughs> importantly I can get that from myself the way that it manifests is I'm like more secure roughly um, in myself and in my abilities and my propensity to fail as a human being. Mm. Um, which to take it further is, yeah, just I'm like more willing to take quote unquote risks. Um, but they're not huge, right? It's just like like talking to someone at a party is like a risk, quote unquote, mm -hmm. like those things, right? Nothing major, but small little changes that I think, yeah, I expect them to snowball or continue to snowball. Um, yeah. Down the road. Yeah, I mean, like, externally, the two things that I've noticed really clearly change. One of them has been the ways in which I've seen you talk to yourself more kindly, which was really strange the first couple of times I, I, I watched it because, you know, there'd be situations where there was a clear opportunity for you, to, for you to push, like, as hard as you possibly can. And I saw you choose not to do that as an act of kindness to yourself. I'm like, what is happening? Mm. This is very strange. Um, but it was, it's been a really lovely change to watch yourself, like, recognize when the drive to push is not coming from like a happy place. It's coming from like, we've talked about in the podcast in, th in the past, this idea of dark energy where you recognize you could push hard, but some part of that push is coming from the reinforcement of this idea of using a deep self-dissatisfaction as fuel and recognizing that there's an alternative path of um, being kind to yourself that avoids reinforcing the notion that, you know, I can only succeed if I hate myself. Uh, so it's been really nice to see the really intentional rewiring. I said there's two things. That was one. I forget the other one. It might come to you. It'll come back to me. It's all right. Yeah. They don't think you're getting off the hook at also telling us the start of your <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew this was going to come around to me. Not that I don't have 25,000 more questions I could ask you, but then Jamie no, would for not sure. go to sleep, and he's sleepy. Um, my first experience therapy was back in 2016. Yeah, so this was, um, I write about this in that post about depression that Carmel mentioned at the very beginning where I was in this really depressed state. And what that meant for me was that I just felt numb all the time and numb in like a really intense physically manifesting way. It wasn't just that I, I didn't feel the same magnitude of happiness or sadness. It was that I felt disconnected from my body. Like I would be in these situations where I would look down at my hands and it, it didn't feel like a part of me. It felt like this thing I was controlling. I would look at photos of myself and it would feel like, you know, I, I would, on a rational level, I would recognize that it was me, but I felt none of the emotional tinge that you normally really get from that. Similarly, like the person I was dating at the time, when we would have eye contact, I would just feel nothing. I would not feel the, the like, the warmth that comes from that kind of romantic connection. So... I was pretty sure something was wrong. Um, I took a bunch of time away from, from work just to let my brain detach from the day to day. And I just like was not feeling better at all. Like, um, as should not be surprising to anyone who's actually been through serious, like mental health issues, going to travel does not fix your problems. <laughs> like, You're just depressed in a new country. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I'm exotically depressed now. Wonderful. <laughs> right, exactly. There's a really great viral TikTok audio. Oh, yeah. That's like nails this. Yes. <laughs> so, um, thankfully, 
due to a few friends having been through therapy, the the kind of uh, stigma element was knocked down for me as well. Like, like having you mentioned that as well. So I didn't feel a lot of stigma around it, but I remember the process of trying to find a therapist being like one of the most exhausting things. And it wasn't mechanically mm. exhausting. It wasn't like this is a lot of physical work. It was just extremely mentally exhausting, extremely emotionally exhausting because like I was trying to find someone where the entire context of our dynamic was I'm in the worst emotional place I've been in my entire life. Please help me, stranger. Which is just a really, really, really weird dynamic. So on advice from one of my friends, I sent out three or four emails um, that basically described the situation that I was in, that I felt that I was in, and then asked for callbacks. There's this one day where I remember the, I only did two things that day. Talked to therapists on, on the phone, and I huddled in bed in fetal position <laughs> because I, waiting for these calls was just like extremely nerve-wracking and exhausting even thinking about it. Mm. The first therapist talked on the phone. I kind of just talked through and they're like, they kind of described the process and they, they said like, yeah, like I can kind of understand um, this sounds very difficult. Um, but I just like didn't, you know, I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe that'll work. But I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll wait to talk to the other one too. The next one called, they just listened to my story and then they just said like, it sounds like you're depressed. And it was just like full stop. Mm. Um, and I think we said a few more things along those lines. Like, it, it sounds like you've numbed out the world. And like having someone listen to this length of story and then tell me that in a direct way where it wasn't like, like it wasn't like, oh, like maybe there's something off here or like, hey, have you tried getting exercise? It was just like directly describing my experience back to me, floored me. And I like immediately started bawling. I like just after the call, I just like huddled up in bed again for like another hour, just bawl the entire time. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to cancel the next calls. That one seems like it's probably going to work. So I went into talk to the therapist. Um, it was in person, which I still strongly prefer, although it's been very hard to do in the last couple of years. Uh, and I started talking about the, the, the like problem, the circumstantial thing that I thought might be related. And I just, nothing was really coming up for me. And then she, she started asking me about like family dynamics. And I similarly just, I started, I started bawling that as well. And it was really weird because the things I was saying, the content of what I was saying was not new for me. I had like talked about different facets of like intergenerational dynamics in my family. Um, and it wasn't the content, it was the way that she was engaging with me in taking these things seriously. Not like a fun story, but I, like really absorbing and mirroring the emotional intensity of some of this stuff. So that was kind of my moment of this flashlight being shined in this area that I just never had had poked at before. Uh, and I remember the, the the first time I went through that session of like of like bawling during the session, that driving home afterwards was the first time in like a year that I had I had really for more than a fleeting second felt lucid, is the clearest way I can describe it. Where my body felt like it was my own again. Mm. I felt like I was in my environment, not just observing it. Mm. And the emotions that were coming up felt like they were mine. They felt like they, mm. they had a clear connection to my history. They weren't just these random, like, chemical perturbations in my brain. And then it's like the, that breaking up to air from yeah. the, like, like... Exactly, you know. exactly. And, like, I, th I think it was, it was so significant, not only because I felt better, but because it, it showed me without a shadow of a doubt that something was wrong. Yeah. Because, like, 
the onset of depression was really gradual where things just kind of faded slowly. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is not how I normally feel. This feels a little weird, but it's hard to, it's really hard to compare subjective experience over long time scales. Whereas when you, there was this momentary thing that flipped me, I'm like, oh, this is how I used to feel. Like I, I now have direct contact with the subjective state that I was used to inhabiting. Um, so going, th I went back to the therapist a few times. Uh, she helped me push through to a couple other kinds of emotions. The hardest one for me by far was anger because like uh, the other emotional things I was never really intentionally suppressing. They just kind of got faded out. But anger, I was like intentionally suppressing for like most of my life. I'm still struggling with anger. Yeah, anger is really, really hard to find ways to feel it safely in a way that doesn't cause like uh, collateral damage to people around you. And I'd seen in lots of different settings, the ways that anger can cause collateral damage is difficult to repair. So at some point, I just, I guess, learned at some level that it's not okay to be angry. So when situations in my life came up that merited, clearly merited very deep and serious anger, I just pushed it down. Mm. So the, the most intense one of these sessions, uh, the therapist got me to walk through the specific scenario in my life that made me really, really angry. And it made me angry at this one specific person. I'm not going to get to the details of this one. Um, but I'm really angry at this one person in particular. And the therapist like really pushed me to honestly express towards the person. Um, and like basically told me to just like, don't, don't like push it through rationally, like truly express the anger directly and we role played it. So she was playing the role of this person. And at first I gave kind of like a half-hearted, like slightly more rationalized thing of like, I can't believe that you did this. But then she, she just like, she basically told me like, I, like I want to hear, I want to hear you say like, "fuck you" in like a way that was not about trying to help the other person. It was not about like trying to clear misunderstanding. It was just about expression. And it, I, I remember feeling physical resistance to doing this. It wasn't just that it felt a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was physically difficult in the same way that lifting a heavy thing is physically difficult. Like it felt like there was something mechanically inside of me that did not want this to happen. And I was finally able to like, with really specific, pretty emotionally intense pressure from the therapist pushed past that um, and what came out was not words it was just screaming mm -hmm. I was just like sat there and like screamed for like half an hour just like pure like unbridled rage that eventually turned into into sadness and like a lot of crying um, like there's this notion that, that I still have someone described to you that oftentimes um, anger is like masking a much more vulnerable emotion because anger can feel powerful um, and this I think there was like this really deep sorrow that I held that was that was like being bottled up by the anger on top of it. So I, I, I couldn't get rid of the sadness without letting go of the anger. I remember from doing that, this is like a really weird woo thing, but I remember feeling this tension in my chest, feel like it, it, it was like physically broken off and had fallen away. That was not like the, the magical end of my depression, but that was the first time I'd really felt these, these notes of recognition that this oppression was this really core part of the problem. And it left me with this really clear mental framework that I still think about all the time, which is you cannot selectively suppress emotion. Like suppressing any kind of emotion will, will suppress all emotion. So suppressing sadness, suppresses joy, suppressing anger, suppresses like gratitude. And I made it clear that I needed pathways of like emotional expression. So yeah, that was my first experience in therapy. It was, which was like pretty Is that session one? No. no, no, no. That was, that was like session You're one. Like, damn. That was session three or four. And then yeah. eventually, Whoa. eventually with that same, same therapist, uh, I started work, walking through other stuff and eventually she was like, you know, like I understand why 
you're sad, but the magnitude of it is surprising to me. Um, so she suggested I go talk to you, to like a psychiatrist and, and try antidepressants for a while, which I did. Um, yeah, but no, that was the first session that would be completely crazy. <laughs> but the first session I definitely did cry a lot from the, the processing like intergenerational family dynamic stuff. Yeah, that was intense. So yeah. much came up for me. And yeah. like, 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 my brain went in a million different directions. I think you guys are going to have to guide the conversation because otherwise, like, you know, I'll just, we'll talk forever if I get to ask okay. questions and stuff. That's okay. I'll put Jamie to sleepy. No, I'm, I'm fine. We can, we can run with this. Yeah. I mean, like, so you were telling your own story about, about the, um, the emotional suppression and then having the light shone and then, like, feeling again. That it's interesting to see that element came up for both of us. Yeah, there's clear suppression followed by release. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering what else is coming up for you. Yeah, I mean, okay. So one of the things that both of you made me think about was like, like sort of like therapy modalities. There are like levels to therapy, right? And I think a lot of people underestimate. They're like, why would I talk to strangers? I've had someone, a friend, tell this to me literally a few weeks ago. Why would mm-hmm. I talk to strangers when I have great friends and they are good at listening? And I think people underestimate um, the value of someone who is not connected to your life, who is outside of it and is trained in this stuff. But even just that objective third party to just mirror back to you, like, wow, that sounds really hard or that sounds really unfair. Or does it, maybe you feel angry Mm -hmm. or why don't you feel angry? Like those Mm. simple things that a lot of times friends and family, even if they're good listeners, aren't trained to poke in those ways or they're too close to you to be able to see what needs to be said, or people shirk from pain. People naturally shirk from pain. And we can feel that even when we talk to them where they might be able to listen, but they're always going to be trying to fix it where it's like, oh, well, like look on the bright side or like this or that, because they don't want to see you in pain because they love you. Whereas like the validation of that third party, Mm. you know, being able to see it and call it, then lets you see it and be with it in a way that we don't do in our society, at least in very like American Western conceptions. Um, uh, And depression is one of those things where I think a lot of people think if they haven't gone through it, they think it's sadness. And sadness is like, no, sadness is the stuff of life. Yeah. Sadness is good. Yeah. Depression is dead. Depression is death, but not even death. Death is also the stuff of life. It's the non-being is depression. It's like numbness. And then it does get deeper and it's despair. But despair is also not quite sadness. Like despair is hopelessness Mm -hmm, despair mm -hmm. is like you've given up living Mm -hmm. you know um anyway and then there's a whole somatic stuff and the anger stuff so i'll just i'll pause there yeah um the anger stuff i was like bro i think i'm so slow like i've seen many therapists on and off since 2007 or 8 and i just got to anger and i'm like still it led to my breakup my recent breakup yeah it was like my first time actually grounding in my anger my therapist always said if Mm. i healed enough with anger it could come a point where like the anger wouldn't feel triggering and out of control and like Mm -hmm. it's going to explode out of me that it would feel like calming and rooting because anger is the ultimate like boundary emotion yeah it is the what distinguishes you from me you know and so to harness your anger and to really feel it grounds you in your identity and yourself and your needs and your reality that's the stuff. Yeah. Um, I sent so many Figma people to her, so many people I know see her. Um, but then we develop all these baggages and triggers and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's versions of the anger that are more out of control. Um, 
But I, I didn't believe her. I was like, she's lying. Like, maybe she experienced anger like that. Like, I ain't never going to experience it like that. Like, anger is just like, you know, you can't yeah. see me on a podcast, but I'm making it. I it. It's a wince. Wow, this is why we need video. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And then I finally felt it in this moment in my relationship. Whoa. And I was like, I feel. Woof. Whoa. I'm like, I feel calm and expansive. And there was like a joy to the anger. Oh, yeah. It Whoa. was like, oh, I have this deep need. And it's this need is not being met mm -hmm. in this way. Mm -hmm. And I see that. And it's beautiful. And to give credit to my ex-partner, I think I was able to feel it in this way because he had taught me and I had learned in our relationship that it would be safe for me to bring my anger to him. Whoa. And so I was able to feel it and not feel like I had to repress it or modulate it. Mm. Not in terms of like, I would never scream at him. This was the other thing my therapist taught me. And this was my most recent therapist, which is why I'm like, I feel like I'm so slow. Like everyone else seems to just like, day one, you're leaping to ancestral trauma. I'm like, <laughs> I saw like five therapists before I started talking about like family wounding. Yeah, um, I think that I'm still not at a point where I can feel anger in a grounded way. It was just that previously I refused to access it in any form. Yeah. Um, so I still haven't managed to get to this point of healthy, regular release. But it's actually been a long time since I felt like really angry. But it, it used to be that I couldn't feel it at all. And then I moved to the stage of, of like bottling it up, but then finding some way to release like once every six months or so. And it would actually always come up in the same kind of crazy way where it would be like I would turn into like a demonic screaming monster for like <laughs> 20 minutes and then it would feel okay afterwards. And I, I've talked to at least one of my sisters also does this exact thing. Wow. It was so interesting to see that. Um, yeah, show me the story about like at some point feeling this, this anger bubbling up. And at this point in her life, she recognized it. So she like turned to her partner. She's like, I'm going to bike ride. And he's like, oh, I'll come with you. She's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and then she just like biked around. She's, she's like, she's just screaming. <laughs> I like while I'm biking down the street and then she came back home and she's like, I'm fine now. Like, if you join me on the bike ride, you know those local news reports where like man's body found dead in gutter? It could be you. We don't oh, want yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My anger, like, you know, kids are angry, right? Like kids lash out and yeah. have to have I was like such a control kid from such a young age. Really? Where like when I was like two, my like best friend would like beat me up and my parents... And I would like not hit back because I was like, I'm not supposed to. The rules, like being good, being right. I'm like, no, you don't hit. So my parents actually were like, we taught her wrong. So like a fan sit me down there like, if somebody hits you, then it's okay to hit back. And in fact, it's good to hit back if somebody hits you. So the next time my like friend was like wailing on me, I like punched one time. Yeah. And she cried. And then when her mom came to me like, it's not good to hit Carmel, I was like, my parents told me that I should hit if I have been hit. And this was that situation. I calculated it. And my, like, it still wasn't anger, you know? Yeah. And so with this, like, my most recent therapist, yeah. when we tapped anger for the first time, I almost fainted. Whoa. She had to give me, like, some, like smelling salts. Not that strong, but it was, like, a essential Whoa. oil. We had to, like, I warned her. I'm like, I think I'm about to faint. And she, like, had me take my shoes off. And, like, and I would never experienced anything on that level of somatic the anger was the thing. Yeah. That's um, crazy. We've talked about anger before. I think it's, I really resonated with how you described it. I think like anger is the, it's the forceful emotion, which like, you know, to your point, like if you overdo it, it's like, it can be very destructive and harmful, but it's also like in controlled quantities, what lets you say no, um, which is a very powerful and empowering thing to be able to it's the thing that lets you advocate for yourself, right? In a way um, of really like, 
I am worth something. I'm this is what I want. And to be able to put that out there, um, I think is a beautiful thing. What do you think is the hardest part about it for you? Or do you have a good relationship with anger in some ways? I don't think so. I don't have a good relationship with anger either. I think like, um, I would say that I've had similar struggles, but not to the same extent. Um, like I have been able to access it before, most typically with my parents, um, just cause there's enough baggage there to like justify the active expression of anger. I don't really remember the last time. Actually, that's not true. I've also expressed it at friends before. The thing for me is I always worry kind of maybe similarly that like, I don't want to like hurt other people. Um, and finding that balance is tough. I think over the last many months, I've been trying to get um, a better sense of how to embody the emotion and, and get to this sense of like be, it being grounding as opposed to this like massive Frothing. fire that's just like, you know, it's like threatening to go out of control. Mm. Um, although one thing I found out recently that I, I like literally two weeks ago also in therapy um, is that like I think I've gotten decently trained in in terms of like using the fire mm. when I have it and channeling in like a kind of like productive, not like destructive way, um, but in a way that like lets me advocate for my needs and like speak up. What do you mean? In terms of speaking up? Yeah, or like channeling it. Like, do you mean like, you know, you've learned how to use it to just like motivate you, and then it's like you're separating the emotion and like mapping out the speech or like yeah what do you mean I guess moments of just like for me the way it comes up is like oh I have this thought I should say this thing but then I'm like eh, it doesn't really matter you know like it's probably fine like if I don't and then I'll just like experience this build up essentially of part of me being like I want to say something I want to say something I think you should say something you say something and then I like hold myself back for whatever reasons um and then I'm like eventually able to like take that build up um and use it it like and it's it actually probably transitions from like anger to more resentment um and using that as an energy to like propel myself to speak mm. in those moments that might be more accurate yeah it's the thing a... that blew my mind i'll just say this last thing because i know we want to talk about finding a therapist and stuff but the thing that blew my mind that it's like so funny to look back that I just did not get it when my therapist first framed it this way. It took so, like years of seeing her to actually get it. She's like, you can fully feel the emotion of anger without vomiting it all over the person you're angry at. <laughs> like you can fully feel the full extent of it. And then the thing that comes out of your mouth is, I feel angry because I'm hurt. And it's like, like it doesn't have mm. to be versions of anger that are like mostly what society models which are like the toxic anger and like she said that and i remember being like i don't understand <laughs> and i like it took years for me to be like oh it was like almost like because we have no we don't have common stories or representation of the way that manifests and what that looks like mm -hmm. i like i didn't get it i'm like and also it felt like no if you fully feel your anger it's such an out of control feeling then how could you ever keep from vomiting it Mm. all over someone and hurting them, you know? Um, anyway, so towards the end, I got to the point where I'm like, oh, it's a very easy dichotomy. I don't know why I struggle with it so much, but it's almost like I couldn't even conceptualize of what she was talking about. Um, 
but we've gone down a niche anger focus. This is all advertising for therapy. Just giving you guys a little taste of what you can get if you find a good therapist. Yeah. So now that I've been through that first therapy experience, I've actually been to see two more therapists since then. And they've each helped me with different things. But I actually haven't been in therapy for about like nine months now. And it's in part because I've been procrastinating because finding, finding the right therapist is a pretty frustrating experience. And I don't even know how to articulate exactly what I need at this point. Mm-hmm. Before, at each stage in the past, it was either there is a specific emotional thing that's happening for me mm-hmm. or, um, or there's like a specific issue that I, I know is a problem for me. And I know that it's like very awkward for me to talk about with certain, with most of my friends. Usually it's because there's like some element of, of, um, of like shame to it. That's like hard to really get deeply into with someone that I know. Uh, so anyway, I would, given your much longer experience in therapy, I'd love to, to learn from you what your perspective has been as you've gone through years and years of this about like what, how to find the right person. How do you think about modalities of therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, and how to figure out how to match it to what you need in a certain phase of development. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I definitely think like we sort of talked about is like their stages and like what someone that's just starting out needs. It's like a lot easier for them to like have a catch-all where they can like find a therapist that's like not exactly what they need or not as active and um, like just getting one in the first place who's like somewhat decent, and we can talk about how you would judge that, is enough because there's so much like unmined mm-hmm. ground. Um, And then the deeper I've gotten in my journey, the more it's like, not just a narrowing in, but it's like you're having to get really specific and like it changes what you need. But I feel like one of the big evolutions that people go through is like it starts with like the the mind like we were talking about. So like it starts with like the narratives and the stories and the epiphanies about things. And then there's like the emotions that that evokes. But then the deeper layer that it sounds like you're starting to get to is often like somatic processing Mm. and like things that are held in the body and felt in the body that are like um like harder to get to and and somatic therapy is like a whole different discipline Mm. so um there's a few ways that we could come at this should we like actually dive into like your specific example or would you want me to like talk through the guide first and then we can talk about what you're specifically looking for i think let's talk about the guide first Mm -hmm. And then we'll, we'll see from there. Okay. Because the guide is definitely a bit more of like a 101, but it's still helpful, I think. So basically, I talk you through like a few modalities. I don't get into all of them and it can be really overwhelming. I do think when someone's starting out, you don't need to know everything. You kind of just need broad strokes. And the first big broad stroke is like, do you want a therapist who's a bit more active or do you want a therapist who's a bit more holding space? And if you're feeling scared and you're nervous and you're just starting out, kind of like you were saying, you're resistant for a while, sometimes one that like holds space, does some pushing, you know, is like the best way to go. And those are much easier to find. But I think actually a lot of people, even those starting out, need one that's more active and they think therapists don't work because they just go to some random Joe Joe Blow on like, you know, better up and the person just gets the money by like being like, oh, tell me more. Yeah. Long, long silence. Tell me more long silence. And lots of therapy is long silences. And so every therapist will have that. But you want a therapist that is making you think about something in a different way or making you see something in a different way. And you can usually tell that starting from the very first 
session and even sometimes from the 15 minute consult call, which most mm -hmm. therapists will do a free 15 minute consult call. Mm -hmm. I feel like the biggest thing for people to know is like, if you're dealing with any kind of trauma, which most of us are dealing with some kind of trauma, but you know you're dealing with trauma, like something big happened, you want to look at like trauma-informed therapists. You want to look at something like EMDR, um, which is involves like I like I like basically tones in the ears or like lights in the eyes that actually stimulate parts of your brain that then let your brain feel safe so that you can go back in and access emotions that got buried or stuck in the traumatic moment when you needed to be in survival mode. So I have a friend that's survived a shooting, the shooting at Vegas um, and EMDR has been really helpful. Um, but even friends that are just like dealing with way less traumatic stuff have found it useful. So that's a modality to look at. If you have anxiety, a lot of times cognitive behavioral therapy can be helpful. That's like mental, um, it helps with like a lot of like that mental rumination voice and how to like break that cycle. However, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, is not actually that useful if you're trying to like deep dive into like your past or your feelings because a lot of it is actually about like reframing the way you think. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to like do feelings-based stuff, most other therapies will like hit that in some way. And then the last thing is somatic, which is body-based. And I think somatic, if you get stuck in your head or you feel like you know everything intellectually that like you've struggled with, I mean, that's a red flag if you've never done therapy and you just assume that you know everything that you yeah. struggle with and exactly, you know, work. you can be very self-reflective and still have major blind spots because the subconscious is like a crazy thing. Um, but if you've done a decent amount of therapy and you get stuck, then like somatic lets you um, start to enter your body and like learn how to feel things in the body. And then the last thing would be psychedelic therapy, like ketamine therapy has been legalized and psychedelic therapy is starting to come out. So those are kind of like the high big swaths if you're fresh to it. Um, and then uh, the next step is like generating referral options, like mm. that list. But I feel like we can send people to my guide for that if you want. Sure. And we can get into vetting questions and like yeah. red flags. Yeah, second with that. Yeah, that's what I figured. So go check out my guide um, if you want to figure out how to generate this list. Once you generate a list of therapists to call, and you get that from like referrals or research, blah, blah, blah. Then you basically like when you call them, you leave a voicemail and try to prepare for like callbacks from unknown numbers and like try to basically do it on it. It's like very practical, but on a day or a couple days where you don't have that many work meetings and you can answer the unknown call because this will be the easiest way to just jump on a 15 minute vetting call with the therapist is they'll call you back and usually they'll have 10 minutes or 15 minutes to talk to you then. And the most important thing is actually how they make you feel. Mm -hmm. So it's like not the biggest part is not like what they say, but it's how they say it mm -hmm. and how that makes you feel. And that's going to be different for everyone. There's no right answers. Like someone that makes one person comfortable is going to make another person uncomfortable. Um, but the types of questions you want to ask are like, you know, what's your approach to a new client? Like what modalities do you subscribe to? Mm -hmm. How do you know like how to figure out like what a client needs. Like, have you done therapy yourself? And what has been like your own journey with therapy, like mm -hmm. in your life? Then as they're sharing like the answers to these things, you're really trying to tune in. And sometimes this is like to your body of like, how does it feel when they answer? Do they make you feel 
it's always a little awkward, these conversations, especially in the beginning. Do they make you feel more comfortable as time goes on? Do they occasionally say something that like is intriguing or when they ask you questions about yourself, do they have like a throwaway line that makes you be like, huh, just like a little ding of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, you'll get more of those in your first session, but you can tell a lot of like, does this person make me feel comfortable from the vetting calls? Mm -hmm. And then that helps narrow down who is worth going to see with your first session. Then what I do in the first session is like, I tell them up front, I'm therapist dating. I'm going on a bunch of first time sessions. I'm going to wait to decide who to go on a second session with or like, you know, I'm going to narrow it down. I'm calibrating. And that way you are giving yourself the easy out of like, if it doesn't feel like a fit, you don't have to worry about like dumping them. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you're kind of just setting the stage for that. I'm going to pause there. There's definitely then first session stuff, but I'll t pause there and take a breath in case you want to chime in or you have also input or advice for people or questions. Is there anything coming up for you, Kevin? I, my therapy experiences have, I've just been very lucky. Mm -hmm. Both the people that I've seen were just like strong recommendations from people that I really trust with this stuff that have clearly done a lot of work. So I actually have very limited experience, like mm. searching from scratch. I definitely haven't done this level of, of searching. Um, like I said, for the very first setup, I did schedule calls. Only talked to two of them before choosing. Did not do like the, the I'm a data round thing. Um, for the subsequent ones, one of them I just... So the first therapist I went to see, her main modality was emotionally focused therapy. And I very specifically at the time opted to not do CBT because it is, CBT is so cognitive. It's, it's trying to... My perception, I haven't done this, but my perception is that it's predominantly tools to cognitively and like verbally challenge the um, distorted thoughts you have. And at the time when I was having this, this like really uncomfortable somatic experience of feeling like my body was not mine, that did not feel like a cognitive distortion. It didn't feel like I was having unhelpful thought loops as a predominant problem. It felt much more viscerally emotional than that, where the thoughts arose after the, the physical sensation rather than the other way around. So emotional focus therapy sounded like it was probably what I needed to not intellectualize my thoughts even more than they naturally are. Um, so for the second therapist, I would just found someone that was an emotional focus therapist that was under my insurance provider. Um, and then the third one was just a referral. I just asked one specific friend um, about what kind of modalities that they would recommend. And then if they had any specific therapists and then I went to talk to them. and it, each of my experience with these people has been very, very different. Mm -hmm. Like the, the first therapist was super active, which I really appreciated. She like really pushed me and not just in line of questioning, but like even in force of emotion. The next one was um, kind of in the middle. And then the last one was like predominantly very targeted specific questions and then very long pauses mm. where I think maybe in, in, like a, in like a 45 minute call, Maybe she would be speaking like, I don't know, like a, maybe 10% of the time. Like it was really just holding space, mm -hmm. um, but in a way that for that specific thing was quite helpful. It was or it wasn't? It was. It was. But okay. for each of these things, like I don't know if going back to them now would be helpful. Right. Yeah. That's what's so hard. And I think that's why my guide is so elaborate. It's like actually not that someone's going to need all this information and testing. And the whole part about like finding that list is like all about how to generate referrals. Yeah. Um, including referrals from the people you're closest to and you trust who like 
their therapist you shouldn't see because it's like conflict of interest if you're seeing like your mom's therapist, you know, but you can actually get on the phone with their therapist and tell them what you're looking for broadly in a therapist and get their referrals because mm -hmm. they have therapist groups that they get together and process their clients and their work with. So if they have certain modalities and styles, they're likely to know other people that they trust mm -hmm. that they could refer you to. So part, part of that is in my guy, but I think in general, like, yeah, there, it's not a, like a perfect system. It's like way, it's like helpful to have some of these tools to like find and do some vetting, but like by no means should people get stuck on picking the perfect modality because you simply won't know. Like right. I've done a lot of therapy and that's the only reason that like I know a lot about this and I know enough to avoid CBT except for anxiety, I think is the thing I've heard it's like most mm. useful for and maybe addiction patterns. Um, but most therapists will do a blend of modalities. So even if you know, oh, I want it to be this, like they're gonna have kind of like a mix of different things. And so not overly optimizing it, but just using them as starting points for testing and trying stuff out. Mm -hmm. And the biggest question that I found came to help me in the vetting call is how active of a therapist are you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want you to call me out on my shit. Yeah, like, I want you to point things out I'm not noticing. And I will tell you 60% of the 15 minute call therapists that I've done, just like, they're like, that's not my style. Like mm. I hold space. That's actually not my style. That's helpful. And I was like, whoa, they just like actually filtered themselves out. Yeah. And I think for some people, like they actually probably would do better with that passive style of therapist if they're not quite ready to fully get challenged and face some of their deeper stuff, you know? Mm -hmm but I think it's trial and error and it's gonna change through the course of your life. So this guide is the kind of thing where it's like, you come back to it. Cause like, yeah. Lifelong process of like finding what the next right fit is and feeling into it. Um, so yeah, it sounds like, you know, I could see why if you haven't had to do it from scratch totally, then you're kind of like, okay, well, where do I go now? Yeah, question's coming up for me. Given that you have done quite a lot of, a lot of this, at what point did you know in the course of seeing a therapist that it's it's like probably time to move on to a different therapist? Yeah. So I had to learn this lesson very much the hard way. Um, and like there were a lot of therapists that I would see for several months. And like there would be sometimes it would feel like, okay, that was helpful. Or maybe I cried and that felt good. But then it's almost like I would keep coming back to being like, is this working? Mm. Almost like that keep coming back, like, is this working? And that's not a total given, because especially if you're new to therapy, coming back to is this working could be a defense mechanism. This is that tricky subconscious that, you know, messes with your mind. Um, but it's trial and error where you figure it out. And for me, if I'm asking like that, is this working for several months, that's that gut voice of like, it's not working. I see. Because I've see. now had therapists where when it's working and it's like, oh, shit, it is working. And it's working from the get go. You know, mm. like from session one, even if it's a little awkward, I leave the first session with the therapist who's a good fit with them having said at least one thing that leaves me chewing on it, you know, where it's almost like you can feel your brain Jenga puzzling in real time to try to reorder <laughs> around the information and be like, oh, God, what is this in our midst? Like, yeah. oh, they're going to have to restructure the core, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, well, how does those two fit? And it's like, you know, I'm so sad we don't have video right now. <laughs> Hermo's a very expressive <laughs> communicator. A lot of facial expressions. Yeah. <laughs> so usually that's like for me, um, like 
session one that they leave me with one thing. It doesn't have to be like, oh, they blew my mind. Like I have abandonment issues with like, you know, my sister or whatever. But like they leave you chewing on something or thinking about something in a slightly different way, even from the first session. The mm -hmm. second is that their balance of pauses, their ratio of pauses to questions makes you feel comfortable. And that's going to be or that it feels supportive in some way. Mm. That's going to be different for every person at different points in their journey. But luckily, that's one where because there's no right answer, you can just kind of internally be like, it's a little awkward in the beginning. Did this person kind of make me feel comfortable by the end of the hour? Mm. You know, and um, if they didn't, then they might not be that the right balance of active to passive for you. I think another is like, there's red flags you can look out for. Those are very easy, like weed out things like, do they talk too much about themselves? You know, you want them to answer questions, especially about like their background or their profession, but there's a lot of bad therapists out there that like actually just are like not good. And like, they'll like dump about their life on you when it's really supposed to be about, you know, what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. um, if they tell you like, after one session, this is what you need to do definitively, or like you need to dump that guy or this or that, like that's huge red flag because they barely know you at that point. They don't know what you then turn around, except for if it's like an abuse situation where they're right. actually worried about your safety and then they have like legal requirements. Um, like they don't know you. It could be very like jarring for you to then go act on that. So that's like a very easy red flag vetting, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Like, solid. These are... The specificity is so useful. It's a spe yeah, the specificity. And then I think like the biggest thing that's like, oh, judgment, if you feel judged. That's oh, an yeah. easy one. And I have a lot of friends who like they felt judged by a therapist. Oh, that like, sucks. I think when you go in like knowing that like racially, gender-wise, age-wise, all of these things, like it might feel better for you to have someone who is your same race or is your same gender or is your same age, or it actually might feel supportive for it to be the opposite. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something you can only know through trial and error, but like knowing to like tune into your body and see how those things feel. I saw a man for four months when I was trying to like work on like some Me Too issues, pre Me Too movement, thinking like, maybe this will help me like deprogram. And then like month four, I found out he wasn't gay. I thought he was gay because he was very effeminate. And I found out he was bi and he was married to a woman. And it was just like, oh, I was just so not ready. Mm -hmm. And so some of that you do only learn through trial and error, but I think a lot of trusting your in intuition. And a lot of people don't. They just go see a therapist, and then if it's not working or it's shitty, they're like, therapy doesn't work. Or yeah. like, yeah, yeah. they don't really realize, like, no, you really have to, like, vet, and you've got to, like, tune into your, what your heart is telling you. Yeah. What's coming up for you, Kevin? I really like the... I didn't have the language before, but the label of active and passive styles, I definitely prefer active. Yeah, yeah. I would like people to pick at me and please like just push because that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. um, not that holding space hasn't also been helpful, but yeah, yeah, I was, I've always been ready for active. So that label is helpful. Um, and the good ones will know what you're ready to be pushed on too. Yes, yes. And the, the question around like when do you know you'll be ready is also a really good one that I've been like chewing on for a bit. So that also mm -hmm. resonates, I think, similarly to what you were saying. Um, I think I, I have good intuition for it. Mm. Like there's a certain amount of time where you're kind of like, I think we're plateauing mm. and I think it's you mm. and I don't think it's me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I feel like 
those moments when I'm taking away is that it's worth listening to that. Um, and I forgot this is very important. One of my biggest learnings has been in those moments to not then just dump the therapist without talking about it. Right. Um, because like some of my biggest breakthroughs in therapy have come from in part because I have friends who are therapists who are like where I'm like, I don't think it's working anymore. I'm just going to end it. And they're like, what are you learning in therapy? Like pony up and tell mm. your therapist. And I've been like, I don't want to. I'm conflict averse. It's like, what if they're like, they're going to try to get me to stay. It's like, then I'm telling, yeah. I'm criticizing their job. And those have been the most powerful, some of my most powerful sessions. Not that it then meant I should stay with that person. But one time I told a therapist and it led to this huge series of breakthroughs that then gave me the ability to tap into my feelings almost on demand, which I did not have before that. Mm. Um, and I was able to take that through the rest of my life, um, at least into my sorrow, still not into my anger, um, yeah. for the rest of my life, even though it still wound up being like that that therapist, like it was time for it to end. Mm -hmm. But the difficulty of that conversation, they can then also present in a way more present and grounded way because they know stuff's on the line. And so... It's really scary to do it, but it can be incredibly valuable, mm -hmm. even if you should still not stay with that person. They're going to want to process it with you. That's their job, right, is to like, well, let's understand what's not working. It doesn't necessarily mean they're begging you to stay. It's so uncomfortable, but it's like really, really powerful. So mm. I, I've done it a few times with different therapists. There's been the moment where I'm like, I don't think this is working. And some of those sessions have been my most powerful sessions. So that would be the other thing I'd recommend. I also have dumping therapist language, which I do think is helpful because people get nervous about it. And then they just stay with the bad therapist or they ghost them, which is okay. It's not the best, but mm -hmm. it's better to like just text a therapist, work is crazy. I need to stop. I cancel our sessions. I'll let you know like when things slow down. Then to just keep seeing somebody that's bad or it's not working, that would keep you from trying again. Um, but you can also kind of go in and basically like the language I'll say is like, for whatever reason, I'm feeling like this isn't a fit. And like, you know, I'm thinking it might be time to stop our sessions. Mm -hmm. Even better if you can do that when there's still a chance that like maybe it can be changed. Right. Because then, you know, you can, it can be a dialogue mm -hmm. more so. Um, but yeah, that's the language that I recommend using for breaking up. It's a good push. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I did like kind of ghost at least one of the therapists. I mean, like I canceled sessions and then I just never followed up again. It wasn't, but I didn't have that conversation. And then I can see how having that kind of conversation could be pretty transformative because especially if like me, you are um, conflict averse mm -hmm. because it's like a very specific variety of safe space to, to be in conflict, but it's still a real conflict. Mm-hmm. And therapists see the job. This is the part that has stuck through from the Freudian days. They they see the job of your dynamic with them in the room as being a place to practice all the stuff that you then have to go out in the yeah. world and do. Mm -hmm. Boundary setting, communication, conflict management, emotion expression. They see that as being part of like the role, you know? And mm -hmm. so it's like an excellent practice moment that most people are afraid to take. Mm -hmm. But the therapists I know, like my friends, like if, if it's not working for you, they probably feel that too. Like they mm. feel the same thing that there are clients that it really fits and jives and others where it feels like it's not fitting. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're just a blank wall, like they're a person too. And so if you're picking up on it not working, they probably also are. I will say you don't need to do this if it's like someone you've only seen for like a couple months necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's like three to four months and longer is when. Otherwise, it's like probably too much. And also if you're breaking up with them that quickly, then like 
it might not be that professional of a therapist. And then you don't want to deal with someone like big red flag energy if someone's like really tries to force you to stay. Right. It's one thing to have a conversation about it, but for them to be like, this is working and you're in denial and blah, blah, blah. Like, Whoa. Like, oh, no, you need this. You're broken. I've seen some bad <laughs> therapists, so it can happen. Like, I'm like, oh, some people out there, how did they get their degree? I don't know. Dang. It's almost like a weird meta, like, last, like, challenge kind of thing. You know? It's Face like, your therapist. Yeah. But <laughs> the I, final boss. So it's a little, in my mind, it's like a little less like that. It's almost like they're a parting gift for you. Mm, you know? Yeah. It's like, I will do this for you one more time. Yeah. You know, to your point about practicing. Um, and then you have a discussion about whether or not, you know, it makes sense to, to call it here. And then, like, you know, you're better for it in theory. So. Yeah. I think I've had a lot of, like, questioning and staying with someone for a long time and then realizing later just how being like, yeah, there's someone I stayed with for eight months and like we had a doubts conversation and there was a huge breakthrough. That was the one I told you guys about. But then I kept, I stayed with her for a few more months because I'm like, well, we just had that big breakthrough. So maybe that means, and then she was going on maternity leave and our final session, I was like, okay, like I want to keep seeing a therapist. So I'll like, she's like, I can refer you. And I'm like, what do you think I need to work on? my next therapist and she's like you need to work on like all the guilt you feel you feel so much guilt and how to be a highly sensitive person in the world and she had never said either of that we've not talked uh -huh. about either of that at all it was the first time she ever used that language with me and i just was like left shell-shocked like, <laughs> wandered out of there but then she was the one that referred me. She was like, I'll find you therapists with specialization in highly sensitive people. Wow. And then she found me the one that then is the one that all the Figma people are seeing. Who's nice. like really good and also did somatic with regular. Wow. Um, oh. And then that therapist like didn't hear from her. And then she came back on the scene like six months or eight months later, emails me like, hey, I'm back on the scene. If you want to come see me as a client yeah. again. And I was like, oh, I'm actually with the person that you recommended. And it's yeah. like going really great. But like. You know, I'm happy to like refer you to anyone. And she just never responded. Mm. And even when we were together, she would like cancel our appointments last minute all the time. That's another mm. red flag. And so I look back and it's like, that's one of those moments where sometimes you just have to live through it to learn how to trust that gut feeling that's like, this is kind of working, but it's kind of not, you know? And I think therapy naturally plateaus. It peaks and plateaus, peaks and plateaus. But mm -hmm. if those plateaus go on for too long, that's when, you know? Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta wonder. This was a lot of me ranting. I, I figure, yeah, I should have known that a therapy, how to find a therapist would be. No, it's good. It's great. Tutorial yeah. rants. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Take my knowledge, yeah, hard no, earned. Please. Yes, gladly. Lived With experience. open arms. Lived experience. <laughs> many, many a therapist have I seen in my wise and old age of 35. <laughs> oh. We survived. Yeah, He's I dropping his eyes, listeners. The the content I could go on for a lot longer, but uh, but yes, I, I think I am again going to be the bottleneck of energy, and say I'm uh, I think I'm pretty much ready to tap out. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting. I've noticed this is like a very like introvert extrovert thing. Uh, I typically always go up, mm. and I'm like never the bottleneck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my ambivert where I go up and I'm with you guys, and it's like up, 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 and then I go home, and then I crash. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I can't see anyone for days. Like, I need to be in a cave. But the up very much when I'm with the people, I don't know. It's very... Cool. Well, let's check out. We're already kind of doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's okay. Do you want to yeah. start? Um, emotionally, I'm like like an eight. I think I've gone up slightly. 
Uh, How do you ever tell someone if you've gone down during your session? I have, I have, I have done that. Yeah. It's usually not because like I'm drained because this conversation was bad. It's more like I'm drained because that was a lot of process. Kind of in the same way that like sometimes from really good therapy sessions, I'm like, that was very helpful and I need to sleep for three days now. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. I think the emotional tone for me is, um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling curious and motivated to to start like reinvestigating therapy it's been a thing i've been putting off for a long time um and just like grateful for for you coming here and and bringing so much energy into the conversation about something that is so emotionally loaded to talk about yeah carmel do you want to go next i feel i feel i think i'm like i feel like i'm at eight like seven maybe i'm a seven because i'm getting a little bit sleepy like my physicality is probably now at like a Mm 4.5 so emotionally i'm somehow like more even more excited but then i'm tired so then it's murking it so i think i'm like a seven Mm -hmm. um and i feel fuzzy Mm. like warm fuzzies not Mm. depression fuzzies um i feel grateful this was like i feel really glad that you guys let me come join and i feel like we yeah, if we had started this earlier, we probably could have gifted listeners with a seven-hour podcast nobody would want to listen to <laughs> on 25,000 different topics. Yes. <laughs> yes. We talk about this a lot. There's yeah. there's a lot of successful, incredibly long podcasts. So, yeah. yeah. Wait, wait. Seven hours be pushing it. <laughs> I'm down to it. I'm down to it. Give really it a shot. Really push the medium? Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's what we're here to do. We might take you up on that one day. Um, <laughs> when we pay someone else to edit. Yes. Exactly. You got it. There we go. The AI overlords. Yes, real unlock. Think. How are you feeling? Great question. I think emotionally, I'm like an eight. Definitely gone up. Physically, it's kind of I'm the odd. Like the emotional highs bring me up. I think I'm like at six now physically, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Like more awake. Um, my emotion is wonder. Yeah, I made like several connections. I think there's a lot of interesting like knowledge bombs that you dropped that I'm taking away and then also like my own connections as I was talking about it like for example when I was describing like channeling the anger I'm kind of realizing that it's more channeling the resentment you know as like when I was before I was talking about like practicing like channeling like um like in those moments of speaking out waiting for like the emotional bottle up and then eventually like releasing that and using it to eventually force myself to speak that's more of the resentment building up. I don't think that actually is anger. And now it's got me thinking like, huh, okay, what do I do with anger? Like maybe it's fine. Maybe I don't know what my relationship with anger is now. And I'm going to think about that a bit now. So lots of things to wonder that about. so happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that you struggle with your relationship with anger, but just that you're, it gives you things to, to yeah, chew on our exactly. chat. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, Yeah. You know what they say? They say the best conversations are therapeutic in nature. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I feel like all my closest friends have to be down with just layperson therapy, armchair therapy. It's the best kind. Mutual armchair therapy. Of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun during this conversation. Gotcha. I learned a lot. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I'm going to listen to all your episodes now. Oh, perfect. And then yes. I'm just going to text you guys questions and you'll have to record voice memos that are not podcast related answering <laughs> deep dive questions about your lives. Yeah. Jamie gets this, so be prepared. Okay. You're in the loop now. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. Cool. Yeah. Well, wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a good day too and uh, have a good rest of your day or night and we'll catch you again next time. Good luck on your therapy journey. See you later. And that's a wrap on season one of Vulnerability Junkies. 
Thanks for being an early supporter of the show. We've really enjoyed making these episodes, and it's been great connecting with you since we launched late last year. In case you didn't know, if you have any thoughts for us, you can always reach us via Instagram DMs, emails, or the feedback forums that we link in the description of every episode. We've gotten messages about how some of you listen to vulnerability junkies when you need a warm, cozy place to recharge after a long, stressful day, or when you're bored on your commute, or when you're looking for a sense of connection on a lonely night. Getting messages like this always makes us smile. We've also heard that we can be rambly. We don't always give enough context, and we say, um, like, and kind of way too much. These messages remind us that we have lots of room to grow. So we're excited to take a bit of time off, incorporate some of this feedback, and figure out how to make season two better than the first. Keep an eye out on Instagram, or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to be notified when season two drops. Thanks again for listening to Vulnerability Junkies. We'll see you next time.